We're currently in the book of James. If you've been here every week, you may be wondering why we skipped the latter half of chapter 1. It's because I gave Jason Cavadini the wrong text to preach from when I was gone on vacation. And I continued along the, the wrong line when I followed him. We had Easter and Good Friday and Palm Sunday in there too in the mix. But I'm going to jump back into chapter 1 and finish it off because there's some big topics at the end of chapter 1, and they're both topics where James wouldn't be James without them. And so one of the topics is temptation. This morning I'm going to talk to you about temptation. We haven't visited that topic in a while, but I'll tell you that the big idea is that every, every time God opens a door, Satan's there to close it. That's his scheme. That's his way. That's his character. Um, he just wants to obstruct, he wants to defile, he wants to get in the way of what God's doing. And we're going to see that this morning. Um, we're going to begin in Luke chapter 4, verses 1 through 2. Luke 4, 1 through 2, and then we'll get into James. Um, I'm going to pray. Father, we just ask that you'd show us your word this morning. I pray that there's openness here. I pray against offense this morning. And I just pray that your light would shine through and illuminate our darkness. And for those of us who are chasing sin or waiting in sin or thinking about sin, God, that you deliver us today. In Jesus' name, amen. We first read, And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit. So he's full of the Spirit, led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days. Okay, 40 days. Um, and then we read, he returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness, being tempted by who? The devil. Being tempted by the devil. Was Jesus godly or was Jesus ungodly? Un, or <laughs> it's been a long day. Jesus was godly. He was tempted by the devil. Did you know that you can be godly and tempted by the devil? You absolutely can. All of us face temptation. We're in that same boat. Okay? You could even argue and make the point that the more godly you become, you can make this point scripturally, the more Satan tries to pit himself against the work of God in your life. It's true. Um, Jesus, I don't know about you, he saw Satan right before his eyes. Tangible, literal devil. I don't know that I've ever seen him like that. Anybody here? But Jesus was very godly. He saw a very demonstrative form of Satan, namely Satan, there actively trying to tempt Jesus. Uh, Smith Wigglesworth, uh, an English evangelist that lived maybe like 1860s to 1940s, in his prime, he was a Strong, strong preacher, advocate of the gospel. Um, he was in a 36-hour marathon preaching and praying, and he was exhausted at the end of it, went to sleep, and within half an hour was awoken by the literal presence of Satan. Sitting in his bed, in of his bed like a dog. And he said, history records, oh, it's only you. And he went back to sleep. Isn't that awesome? I didn't share this in the first service value-added bonus. Um, there's another story of Smith Wigglesworth that I remember reading about in college where 
um, he woke, he walked into his bedroom and sensed just a, a demonic presence in his bedroom. The window was, was open. There was a breeze, cold breeze blowing in. It just had the, the feeling of something not good. And, and the, the atmosphere kind of started to shake and his bed literally rattled away from the wall into the middle of the room. And he knew the presence was demonic and he began to speak to the presence and tell it to leave in Jesus' name. And the presence left the room and he got to thinking about it and he thought, well, my goodness, why should I have to be the one to put this bed back where it belongs? So he said, spirit, come back in this room in the name of Jesus. The spirit re-entered the room. He said, I don't believe my bed was there when you got here. And his bed began to shake back against the wall into its proper place. And then he cast it out a second time in Jesus' name. We don't battle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers of this world. Satan is real. He tempted Jesus. He tempts us okay higher levels bigger what you ever heard that one higher levels bigger devils yep verses two through three jesus ate nothing during those days is a 40 day fast is that possible yes it is not without water but without food and the physician's uh, advice uh, which you should seek if you would decide to pursue something like that um, it is possible. My youth pastor in college, uh, rather in high school, went on a 40-day fast. 40-day, only water and juices for 40 days. Um, so Jesus did it. It's what he's doing here. How many of you would like, I don't know if I could fast for 40 minutes, right? I mean, the snackers among us, this is where you're denying the body food to focus on on God. And so that's what Jesus is doing. And so he's hungry, he's tired, he's alone. And when they were ended, these days, he was hungry, and the devil said to him, if you're the son of God, if you're the son of God, if you've got something to prove, basically he's saying, if you're the son of God, command these stones to become bread. Now, how many of you at the end of the 40-day fast would delight in making a loaf for yourself? Jesus didn't even need a bakery. He could have done it right there. Okay? And so instead of caving in to Satan's commands, Jesus revered the Father. He knew it wasn't his time yet to eat. According to the Father, I don't know if you'll recall, but Jesus, great, 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 and don't hold me accountable to the number of greats that I use, great, great, great parents, grandparents, um, they also were told by someone they ought to eat when God had said you ought not to eat. Who were they? The first parents, Adam and Eve. Yeah. And so here Jesus is, new day, same old trick that the devil played on Adam and Eve. And Jesus answered. And you'll see that over the course of three temptations, Jesus quotes the Bible. Do you love God? Do you get into the word? Do you know scripture enough to resist temptations by the devil? I remember I was a young man. And I memorized 1 Corinthians 10, 13, which this is the ESV. But when I was young, I read the, the NIV. And it says, no temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. 
But when you are tempted, he'll provide a way out for you so that you can stand up under it. See, what a great thing, what a great tool to use when you're tempted is to quote scripture. The enemy hates that. Uh, There's a verse in James that we'll read later on that says, resist the devil, submit yourself to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Another great one to memorize for when you're tempted. So Jesus starts doing this. He quotes scriptures when he's tempted, and he quotes from Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy. Now, for how many of us, honestly, if our fate hinged upon being able to quote from Deuteronomy by memory, would we be in trouble? We'd be in trouble, but Jesus knows the scriptures. Verses 4 through 8, Jesus answered, It is written, it is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. So then the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment in time and said, To you I will give all this authority, all this glory, for it's been delivered to me. I will give it to whom I will. All you have to do is worship me. That's what Satan told him. Now note that this is exactly what God plans to do with Jesus after the resurrection. He plans to exalt Jesus, put Jesus at his right hand and give him what the devil is trying to give him here. I don't know if you've noticed this, but oftentimes the devil in temptation is trying to give us something that God plans to give us later. And it's only a matter of time. Do we succumb to temptation out of a want to have early what God plans to give us in the right time frame? Think about that. And so Jesus says, um, or Satan says, rather, basically, I'll give you victory without defeat. I'll give you a kingdom without a cross. Do you want that? All you have to do is worship. He's offering Jesus, in a word, a shortcut. So he's offering Jesus and Jesus answered, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only you shall serve. And then in verses 9 through 12, um, and I think we have it on the screen too, I'll paraphrase, Satan takes Jesus to the temple, another high place, invites him to throw himself down. And Jesus isn't the only one you may have noticed that's quoting scripture. Satan also knows, also quotes scripture. And he basically takes another Old Testament scripture, Satan does, out of context, by the way. You can use scripture out of context to justify slavery, homophobia, racism, you name it. Any one of sin that you want to condone and approve, you can handpick a scripture out of its context and do that. We look at the whole counsel of God. So Satan cherry picks a scripture out and says, hey, I found some place in the Old Testament where the angels will support you, buttress you when you fall. Therefore, Jesus, throw yourself off the temple. They'll catch you. And Jesus called a spade a spade, and he said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Also, scripture And then the devil leaves him. Was it forever? It was not forever. The scripture says, for an opportune time. In other words, I'm going to wait till Jesus is hungry. I'm going to wait till Jesus is tired. I'm going to wait till Jesus is exhausted. And then I'm going to try something again. I'm going to come back when he's vulnerable. Okay? So let me give you three points Quick points before we turn to James and connect it to James. 
The first point is that a life with Jesus is war. It's war. I don't know if you um, feel this. Uh, In some ways, Satan has an advantage if you don't feel this, don't know this, don't recognize this, are just aloof that he's involved in your life as God is. But the Christian life is a war. That means, again, we don't battle flesh and blood. Satan hates Jesus Christ. Therefore, he hates those that love Jesus Christ, those that serve Jesus Christ. He sees us as being with Jesus, therefore against himself. And this all started cosmically ages ago. The Avengers may be great. They may be hip. They may be the end thing. You may spend three hours and go see them. But I'll tell you, it's nothing. It's nothing compared to this cosmic battle that happened. When God the Father kicked Satan, a handsome angel, and a third of the angels that he convinced to value his opinions and ideas and perspectives over God's out of heaven and down to earth. That's what happened. And they were given dominion over the earth. It's why we have suffering. It's why we have pain. We're on this side of heaven. Satan still rules here. Jesus is in the ultimate place of authority. He's sovereign. He's king over it all. But Satan has permission to roam about for a time like a lion seeking whom he may devour. And so he and his minions are here doing devastating work to marriages, to finances, to emotions, to minds, to hearts, to commitment levels. They're just wreaking havoc. And ever since the first Two humans succumbed to his plan when they were on earth in taking of the fruit. It's been a part of our genetic code, and all of us sin and fall short of the glory of God. Amen? We all do. Um, This is one claim that sets Christianity apart from other world religions. We um, are not good people, inherently good. There's a country song out right now. I couldn't give you the title, but I heard it playing this week on the radio that says, We're good. We're good people. We are not good people. Christianity teaches we're broken. We're flawed. Um, We need a rescuer. We cannot save ourselves. And so in being the first human to overcome temptation, Jesus showed us he's worthy. Jesus showed us he's worthy of following and imitating. And make no mistake about it, we're at war. We're at war. Um, second, temptation is not sin. This is just a point. But it's an important point to remember and keep dear at all times because if you don't, you're going to beat yourself up every time you have a rogue thought. Temptation is not sin. Martin Luther said, um, I, I can't, I, I can't keep birds from flying over my head, but I can keep them from building a nest in my hair. The birds flying over the head are temptation. The birds building a nest in his hair, if he allows them, are sin. Some of you feel that when you're tempted, you've already lost. You have not lost when you're tempted. Everybody, including Jesus, who is God, was tempted. That's not, a, that's not a true statement. In fact, believing we've lost when we're tempted expedites and gets us further into the pattern of sin. 
We ought not maximize our perception of our temptations. When we've been tempted, we've simply been tempted. We've yet to lose. We can still win. But Satan, he'll plant thoughts in your head like these. Well, you might as well follow through with that. You've already started. You've already taken a few steps. Why don't you just take a few more? That's what Satan would lead us to believe. So temptation does not mean that we are ungodly. God himself was tempted. Um, Just because you're struggling does not mean that you're spiritually weak. Being tempted is not equal to being defeated. Temptation and sin are different. Um, In fact, I think the Bible teaches that temptation is an opportunity for victory over sin. For victory. If we catch it. When it begins, you know, your thoughts are the most important dictators of your future actions, right? We got to catch the thoughts. That's when we crush sin. If we wait until the actions are taking place, that's too far down the road. Not that Jesus can't do it. He certainly does, but it's more difficult. Third thought is you will get hit. This is from Luke. You'll get hit when you're hungry, isolated, and tired. You absolutely will. That was Jesus' condition. This is so practical. He was literally hungry. When you are hungry, when your energy levels are low, when you're stressed out, when you're alone and on the road for your job or at a hotel or you're away from your parents at a friend's house, how many of you would say, at a friend's house, something bad happened when I was little that didn't happen until I went to a friend's house? I mean, when you're away from parental oversight, Bad things happen. I'm not saying you shouldn't allow kids to go to friends' homes. I am saying that you ought to be very selective and careful of what homes you let your kids hang at and enjoy. And so um, we see that you'll get hit when you're isolated. What about being at a university for the first time? Having new freedom. I mean, that's where a lot of kids just let their childlike convictions fall to the ground and crumble. What about when you're a young professional in a new big city, in your own apartment for the first time, or your own condo, or you're reinventing yourself, your identity. You have anonymity for the first time in your life. Nobody knows who you are. Nobody knows what number to call of your parents. You can do whatever you want and get away with it. That's when you get hit. That's when you get hit. Isolation is opportunity for temptation. How does this relate to James? Here's the connection. I want to just for a minute establish in your minds that James has credibility to talk to us about temptation. Why is that? James saw Jesus being tempted. He was his little brother. James saw Jesus have victory over temptation. James tells us that Jesus was without sin. He was there to see the whole thing. Now, if you missed our 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 introduction, um, the Bible teaches that Mary conceived by the Holy Spirit. It wasn't like some pagan myth, Greek, odd thing of God and humanity intertwining. It was just that 
God enabled Mary to conceive and have a child in her belly without the help of a man. And God the Father did that, and so Joseph was an adoptive father of Jesus. But after that, after that, Mary and Joseph had other children that were half-brothers of Jesus, brothers and sisters, and James was one of them. So, what does that mean? Who was there in the 30 years of Jesus' life that we have near no record of? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John basically tell us about age 30 to age 33 of Jesus' life. Who was there uh, until age 30? Well, James was there. He was there during the adolescent years. Who had an opportunity to see junior high Jesus? James did. He did. Who saw Jesus in his 20s as he was gaining independence? Well, James did. James saw Jesus face the same temptations that you and I face. Alcohol, sex, financial mishandling, potty humor while fishing. All of it. James saw Jesus face. They played catch together. They probably shared a bunk bed. So they were with each other a lot. And James is telling us, after having spent 33 years of his life with his older brother, that Jesus was not normal. If he was normal, James would have told us so. How many of you know the sins of your brother or sister? How many of you would say, my brother or my sister was sinless? Perfect, a saint. Okay, we just wouldn't say that. Okay, I have a sister, she would definitely not say that about me. I locked her up in a suitcase and pushed her down the stairs at one point, okay? Not kind. Not kind. What I'm telling you is that before I read what James says about temptation, whatever he says, he made from draws out of the deep well that is his friendship and relationship with Jesus Christ. And over the course of 33 years. So what he tells us is valuable. Now here's what he says. Here's what he says about temptation. He, he compares temptation to three things. He gives us three analogies. First thing he says is he says temptation is like sports. How many of you like sports? Me too. So he says in verse 12 of chapter 1 of the book of James, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he stood the test, he'll receive the crown of life. A crown was something that was won at athletic competitions in this time. The crown of life, okay, um, which God has promised to those who love him. James says, hey, I'm writing to you about Jesus. I'm trying to tell you about temptation. Let's take sports, for example. Let me connect the dots for you. Let's think of the world of athletics. Let's think of competition. And so let me, your pastor, give you just a quick test to make sure we're tracking here. Um, what is the prize that you receive if you're a part of the best hockey team on the planet at the end of the NHL season? Stanley Cup, correct. And what's the prize that you receive if you're the best football player in Division I college men's football at the end of a season? The Heisman Trophy. 
That's correct. And what's the prize for the player if his team is the best Major League Baseball team at the end of a given season? He gets a a World Series ring. He does. Even the losers? The team does, right, yeah. Each player gets a ring. And so we don't know anything about that in Milwaukee, do we? Those rings, we, 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 we Google it and we learn about it that way, right? But Milwaukee players, were they to win the series this year, they get a ring. And, and I'll spin this positively, positively at the end. If you win a Super Bowl, you get what? The, a ring and the team gets the Lombardi Trophy. Okay, we don't need to Google that. So when you shoot a buck, you get to display the mount or the antlers. When you win in wrestling, you take home the bracket to remind you of all the names you beat in that tournament. Um, so when you have a victory, uh, Rebecca is exactly right in talking about remembrance, it's to remember the feat that you accomplished in life. It's something to commemorate. It's something to jog. It's something to celebrate. And what James is saying is when temptation comes, it's like a sporting event. Blessed are those who remain steadfast. What do you win? You win a blessing and you win the crown of life, which will be rewarded in heaven. The scriptures talk about several crowns. What's James' point? He's saying you can win. You can win. May I just remind you of that this morning? You can beat your temptation. If you're full of the Spirit like Jesus, if you're empowered by the Spirit like Jesus, you can win. You can win. Jesus, or rather James' second example. It's not a sports analogy. It's a fishing analogy. For those of you who are fishermen, this one's for you, verses 13 through 14. Let no one say when he's tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person, it's an individual thing, each person is tempted when he is, what's the word? Lured and enticed by his own Desire. Lured is a fishing word. It's a word that has to do with fishing. So you're being tempted, James is saying, remember fishing. When you're being tempted, remember what it's like to fish. And he's saying, Satan and the demons are the fishermen, and we Christians are the dumb fish. That's what he's saying. Now, if you're offended by that, it's in the Bible. I'm just delivering the mail. That's what I do. It's already written in there. True or false, fishermen, different fish like different bait. True or false, you don't use the same thing for crappie that you use for walleye, that you use for, for muskie. Okay, you can't use a big muskie lure to catch bluegill unless it's an ambitious bluegill, right? You got to use individualized bait. And the point James is making is he's saying, Temptation by the evil one is highly individualized. Highly. Satan will cook something up precisely for you. And he'll dangle it in front of your face as you're swimming along in life. 
what is a temptation for me may or may not be a temptation for you. I'll give you an example. I have never done drugs. I pretended to smoke a joint by a pond shore when I was entering high school with two friends. I did not inhale. I sympathize with Bill Clinton. I didn't. I just pretended. That's as close as I've ever come to drugs. As close as I've ever come. I don't identify with alcoholism. I had a couple of nights in grad school where I let it get the best of me, but it's never been a recurring addiction. I lost a dear friend and parishioner two years ago to the mill church to an overdose. I don't want drugs. I have no desire to be close to them. Um, I don't gamble. I have no interest. It's just not something that I want to do. I may or may not have bought a few lottery tickets in hopes that we could fund our church project. Okay? (laughs) Maybe. But it was for fun. It was not because I was tempted to do so or addicted to doing so. I'm not tempted to put things in my body that are not good for me, except little to no exercise, which is something that I don't put in or on my body. But I didn't smoke as a teenager. I inhaled a cigarette once. I dropped to my knees coughing. It was an awful experience. I put a dip of, of uh, Copenhagen, I believe, in my lip in junior high on a pond shore fishing for largemouth bass, and I got so sick I could not see straight. Like, I don't, I don't want, I'm not tempted to do those things, okay? But do you know what I struggle with? Honest to goodness, I struggle with tact. I can be direct. I can be unkind. I can be insensitive. I'm not trying to be, but I can be. I struggle with eating too much. I don't have self-control as it comes to food. Not like I would like to have. It is a constant struggle for me. I struggle with materialism. Shannon and I are generous people. We threw in the kitchen sink toward this church project. But I'll tell you, it is a regular struggle. Do we or do we not take this vacation that would be all about us? Do we or do we not buy this for our home, for only our enjoyment? I mean, and we cave sometimes. I struggle with those things. Here's the big idea. Here's a big idea. What is your weak spot? What is the individualized bait that's perpetually dangling in front of your nose? Satan uses that to try to end your freedom. What is your thing? Because here's the thing. You cannot go swimming around your temptations. You will be enticed. You will be lured. You are a dumb fish. You will bite. It may not be a temptation for somebody else. But if it's a temptation for you, it will destroy you if you keep it in proximity to yourself. 
Don't be with people you shouldn't be with. Amen? Don't go places you shouldn't go. Amen? Temptation. I'll give you a, a third analogy. This is the last one that James gives us. Temptation is like pregnancy. That's what James says. It's like pregnancy. Verse 15 of chapter 1. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. What does James mean to say? James is saying that temptation is like a relationship that's not centered around God and that evolves, or I should say devolves, slowly. Temptation is going to come along, a bad desire, an evil desire, sinful desire, and you're going to introduce yourself and say, Hi, my name's Carrie. Hi, my name's John. Hi, my name's Zach. And the temptation's going to respond and say, Hi, my name's drugs. Hi, my name is shopping. Hi, my name is pornography. Or whatever. Temptation will come along and the next thing you know, you're out on a date. And it's harmless. It seems. And things are are simple. And, and, and nothing's gravitating anywhere. And, and you're thinking, well, gosh, a little fun. Gosh, drugs is fun. I mean, this is harmless. And, and so this isn't going too far. Well, well let, let's just have a little fun. Couldn't hurt. And, and we're going to keep all this under our control. And then before you know it, sin is conceived. And now the sin is growing. Now the sin has a life of its own. And now you've given birth to it. And now it's maturing and developing and growing stronger and becoming independent. It's out of control. What's the point James is trying to make? He's telling us Satan never comes along at the beginning of a temptation and drops the hook in the water and says, do you want to wreck your life? Do you want to ruin everything? Let's do that today. He's never that obvious. He works in subtlety. That's how he starts. No good fisherman has ever dropped a sign over the edge of a boat that says, would you like to be reeled into my boat? Clubbed over the head? Gutted? We'd say, no, thanks for asking, and just keep swimming along. In short, temptation never reveals its ultimate goal. It never, it, it's always operating discreetly, incrementally, incognito. But through the words of James, God is... Revealing, I hope, temptation's ultimate goal, which is to lead us to death if we allow it. God does not tempt. We just read it this morning. We cannot blame our temptations on God. He does not do it. It's our responsibility with his help to avoid them.
How many of you have ever said, man, I didn't mean to get into that much trouble? It started small. I didn't think it was a big mistake. Things moved quickly, and I birthed death in my own life. The death of my health, the death of my joy. I guarantee you, I guarantee you, that the individual that we buried two years ago didn't participate for the first time and say, I'm delighted to die for this cause. It happened in nuance over and over again and increased in power. In conclusion... I want to answer this question. What about those who have already given birth to death? I've got good news for you. It's exactly why Jesus came. He came to put our sin to death. So that we might receive his new life. That's why we're about to celebrate communion. When we eat the, the bread, we think of his body that was broken. When we drink the cup, we think of his blood that was shed. All of that was for the forgiveness of our sins. And not only the forgiveness of our sins, but for our victory in this life over our sin. Jesus gives us that. It's a promise of his. You may be the athlete who's quit. You may be the dumb fish who's been reeled in. You may be figuratively pregnant and slowly marching toward delivering death. But you can win. You can put your sin to death. You can have a clean conscience by the power of the cross. We need to run to Jesus to resist temptation. He's the only one that can get the hook out of our mouth. Only God can do it. It's just what he does. Amen? Amen. Father, would you bow your head? I just pray, Lord, for those who feel helpless this morning. I just pray for those who feel like they have no control. God, we in no way are minimizing the power of darkness. We're elevating the power of darkness this morning. We're saying we realize we wrestle not with flesh and blood, but with principalities and powers, with fallen angels, with beings that have a lot of say-so in this world. But greater is he that is within us, Lord, than he that is within the world. And if we are led by and full of your spirit as you are, and if we respond to temptation with quoting scripture, the words of God powerfully to our adversary, we can win. We can be delivered. We can, we can put to death the relationship with the ungodly. And Lord, I just pray you'd give us the power to do that in your name. So understanding that it's, it's the godly who are most aptly and, and often pitted against by Satan. 
How many of you would say this morning, this is not an embarrassing or shameful thing, hey, right now with every head and, and, and uh, eyes closed, heads bowed, right now I'm dealing with temptation. I'm just dealing with a temptation. Would you just raise your hand with your eyes closed? I'm dealing with temptation. Multiple people in the room. Awesome. Awesome. Father, I, I just pray that this acknowledgement is a step in the right direction. Lord, I pray that we would seek you for deliverance. I pray that we would seek your help. I pray, God, that we would submit ourselves to the conviction and empowerment of the Holy Spirit and that we would, would live out the fruit of the Spirit. That our lives would be evidence of, of us being children of the King. I pray, Lord, you would help, Holy Spirit, those who lifted their hands to win, to be victorious. I pray that they would not see their temptation as sin. It isn't. I pray that they would see it as opportunity to get a prize by putting the self to death, by putting the flesh to death. In Jesus' name we pray. We love you, Lord. We thank you for your little brother. Amen. Amen. Well, God bless you as you come and take of the elements this morning. Grab a cracker, dip it in the juice, go back to your seat along the aisles and just spend some moments just thinking about yourself, thinking about your sin, where you're at. Ask God for the forgiveness that only he can forgive and just recommit, recenter, refocus on living for him by the power of the Spirit. Amen? Amen.